Hey guys, it's Aaron here with another episode of Raptors Review. I'm here with Gavin. What's up? And Ben. Hey yo. And we talk about the week that was. We talk about the Raptors 3-1 record this week, career highs for Fred Van Vliet and Chris Boucher, and what's happening for the Raptors in this following week. Hope you enjoy. All right, let's get started with a bit of the week in review. Let's summarize these games. So the Raptors played four games this week. On Sunday, they played the Orlando Magic. Big win. Score was 115 Toronto to 102 Orlando. On Tuesday, they played Orlando again. Another big win. Toronto scored 123 to Orlando's 108. On Friday, we had the Raptors playing against the Brooklyn Knights. Huge win again. Uh, The Brooklyn Nets are without Kevin Durant for much of the game, notably. Raptors scored 123. Brooklyn Nets 117. And then on Saturday, to wrap up our week, Toronto lost to the Atlanta Hawks. 121 for Toronto to Atlanta's 132. This gives them a weekly record of 3-1. and So none of us were right in our predictions. And a weekly net rating of 6.4, well above their uh, season average. Their overall record uh, for the season to date is 10 and 13. That puts them tied with the Hornets for eighth in the East with an overall net rating of 1.3, 12th in the league in net rating. I guess I'll start off the conversation on the week that was by just asking you guys three and one. That's uh, one of the few weeks the Raptors have posted a winning record this season. Do you think the Raptors have turned a corner? Is this a sign of positive things to come? I think... Absolutely. But I don't think they've turned the corner into becoming the team they were last season where they were a top four team in the East and I think a real threat in the playoffs. They've turned a corner from mediocrity into being a playoff team. I think they started looking like a real playoff team at this point. To me, I have them in the same tier as the Pacers where they're going to be a good team, but they're not scaring any of the top contenders in the East going forwards, I don't think. I disagree, Ben. I I don't think the Raptors have turned any corner. Two of their wins this week came against a devastated Orlando Magic squad. I think they're still the same mediocre team. And in the East, mediocre can get you into the top playing spots. I don't think the Raptors Raptors are any better than they were the week before. They're just an okay team, and and they beat up some, some bad teams this week. They split their games against good teams. The win against the Nets was largely without Kevin Durant, and that's a big part of why they won. So no, I don't think the Raptors are any are any materially better than they were the week before. I'm going to side with Aaron on this one, Ben. I just, I can't help but think that this week's positive record is more product of them playing the Orlando Magic twice than them having faced quality competition and actually making improvements. Those two wins against the Orlando Magic, I mean, if you're not beating the Orlando Magic, what are you doing? That's probably why the net rating is so much higher. The big concerning sign for me that I'm seeing is just that the Raptors right now are this season are a better offensive team than they are defensive team and compared to their uh, adversaries in the league. They're an above average offense and a below average defense, which until that defense gets sorted out, I don't think we're going to see these Raptors making any kind of deep push. I think you're pretty high on the Raptors, Ben. If you think that they're on the same level as the Indiana Pacers, I put them more in that category with like the Atlanta Hawks, Uh, maybe a little bit better than them, but just definitely in that six through eight range. I think they do. They are still playing at the level of an Eastern conference playoff team, but definitely at the lower levels. Okay. I guess maybe, maybe to clarify my point to me, 
the Pacers and Hawks are in the same tier of teams, roughly. Like I think, yeah, the six to eight spots in the East, that's that's around where we are. And that's where I see the Pacers ending up. So maybe that point wasn't entirely clear. But we did beat the Brooklyn Nets. And even without Kevin Durant for most of that game, I thought it was still an impressive win. They still have James Harden and Kyrie. And I thought we did a really good job at defending them. The Raptors made a lot of shots. They played really well on offense that game. I I mean, everyone should play well on offense against the Brooklyn Nets. But to me, that was still an impressive win, despite Kevin Durant being out for most of it. So I felt like the Raptors, they took care of business against Orlando. And when you're a mediocre league average team, taking care of business against bottom teams isn't something we can take for granted anymore. So the fact that they did that is encouraging to me. It feels like in previous weeks, we'd lose random games to bad teams like that Sacramento loss. I don't know. I'm taking encouragement out of this week. I thought this was a really good week for the Raptors. Valid point. Beating bad teams is something that the Raptors have always done historically, especially under Dwayne Casey and Nick Nurse. That's always been kind of their calling card. I'm just, I don't think they've turned a corner and got back to where they were until they start showing some of that against quality opponents. And this week, they didn't really face any quality opponents. If you're looking at the Brooklyn Nets without KD, KD's so important for that team. Obviously, he boosts their offense, but even more so on defense with players like Pascal Siakam having good nights against the Nets that day because they just don't have anyone that can guard Siakam that height, that speed. And with KD in the lineup, I think it would have been a bit of a different story. And in the nine minutes that he was in, uh, it definitely looked like a bit of a different game. Yeah, that's fair. One thing that you guys might be right on this week, something that is a mirage is Siakam's play. Siakam had some good games this week against Brooklyn and a game against Orlando as well. Those are teams that had no one that can guard Siakam. And so he was able to feast. But against any team that has real defenders for Siakam, he still feels like he's really struggling. His three-point shooting has not been good at all this season. It looks like he's lost a lot of confidence in that. He hasn't taken more than four three-point attempts since the middle of January in a game. And so he's kind of stopped shooting from outside. He's trying to drive, but he doesn't have a lot of creativity on offense. So when there's help defense at the rim, he just doesn't know what to do. And I'm really worried about Siakam so far this season. I think he's been a big part of their offensive struggles. And I don't see any light at the end of the tunnel here for him. What do you guys think about Siakam's play? I think there's definitely light at the end of the tunnel for Siakam. Him focusing on driving more is going to be beneficial for him long-term because I think that'll help him cut out the mid-range garbage that's in his game. And the three-point shot is going to is going to come around. He's a much better shooter than being 25% from three. He's shown that throughout his career. Even if he's not a good three-point shooter, he won't be this bad. And, and when that comes around, he will be much more of a threat. So, uh, so I, I'm much higher on Siakam than you are. I don't think it's time to give up on Siakam yet. This is still a six foot nine, six foot ten guy that moves super well, can dribble a bit, pass a little bit, take some shots every once in a while. And he's shown that, right? He's been successful in the past. It might be in spurts, but we got to keep this guy in the fold. I really like what he's been doing the past few games. He's kind of shifted back, I think, to what made him such a good player in 2019, right? In the playoffs. He's finding more shots in the flow of the offense. He's attacking the rim more, not settling for jumpers and pull-up threes. He's waiting on his threes until he's open and can take them in rhythm, right? Those catch-and-shoot threes. He's focusing more on corner threes and waiting to be open to take them. And that means he's taking less a game, which I'm totally fine with if that means we're getting a more aggressive, more opportunistic Pascal Siakam running in transition, moving off turnovers. And I think that it's bared out this week in his stats. Yes, he's had some easy matchups, but this might be what it takes to get the ball rolling for him. 
so he's not hitting any of these threes. And even in a couple of the games, I've seen him step inside the three-point line and take a mid-range jumper because it feels like he's lost all confidence in his three-point shooting. I don't know. To me, that's a little bit concerning. Like in previous slumps, he'd still be jacking up threes with confidence. And that's what I want to see from him. I feel like, yeah, we don't want him settling in the mid-range. Driving to the basket's great, but when you're open at the three-point line, I still think you just have to take that shot, even if you're in a slump, and he's not doing that. And so to me, that's a bit of a red flag. I think he, he's losing a bit of confidence, and I'm worried about him as a primary offensive threat. It looks like last season, that started off great, and then he slumped, and then the bubble, and then this season, it's basically been more of the bubble. He's started trying to drive a lot, but it's to me, the results haven't been great. And I'm worried about him just falling apart on offense and never becoming the player that we hoped he could become. What do you think we should do about it? Do you think that Nurse should use him differently or should Masai be looking to make a move here? What's your opinion? Should we hold on the Siakam stock? What do you think? I think Siakam stock is pretty low right now. And so it's always a bad play to sell low. <laughs> I think we do. I think we have to hope that he comes out of this slump and finds a way to get out of it. Cause I don't, I don't know what other alternative there is. I don't think it makes sense to trade him. Um, I don't think we'd be getting good value for that. And so it's, it's really on just praying that Siakam can develop and continue to improve his offense, improve the shooting, work his way out of the slump, but feels like almost a full season at this point of Siakam not being a great offensive player that we thought he could be. And at a certain point, maybe this is just the player he is, and he's just kind of decent complimentary player, probably not going to make another all-star team if this is the player he is. And we'll, we have to settle for that. And he's still useful. It's just the, the long-term optimism isn't as high for me anymore. Okay. I can see where you're coming from. I, all we can really do is hold the Siakam stock and hope it goes back up because We've seen those spots where he looked amazing and hopefully it comes around again. Even if he's had a down year and a down bubble, we know it's in him. So hopefully it comes back. Let's uh, move to some brighter conversation here. We had two players put career nights up this past week. The obvious one here that everyone's talking about, Fred Van Vliet. 54 points on 23 shots versus Orlando. You love to see it. I'm happy for him. What helped Fred Van Vliet get off to this great start against Orlando? Well, playing against Orlando is, is very helpful there. Uh, they're they're a team that's that's kind of a mess right now. I think they they were at one point they were eight and four, and now they're like eight and fourteen or something absurd like that. What, what's really remarkable about Fred VanVleet getting fifty four points is that's a, it's also a franchise record. I think if you had asked me when Fred VanVleet first came onto the Raptors that he would if he would hold the Raptors all time record for scoring in a single game, I, I would have. I probably would have had a concussion just from my brain exploding from that because that doesn't seem like something that was possible for this guy. He shot over 100% on true shooting for this game. He was absolutely on fire from three, and it was one of the more impressive uh, single games I think we're ever going to see in the NBA. Very impressive. Yeah, the thing that most impressed me was the 23 shots and how easy it looked. He wasn't doing anything remarkable. Like he wasn't taking Kyrie Irving-esque difficult shots. He was just taking casual threes when he was open and then just going, driving to the basket, getting easy layups. This is Orlando and their defense in this game was awful on him. But Fred just made it look easy and he continues to show that betting on himself is paying off. I'm really happy for Fred. Gotta love me some Fred Van Vliet. 
Love it. And to watch him put up a career night like that, highest scoring total in a single game by a Raptor, highest scoring total in a single game by an undrafted player on such efficiency. I think this is one of the best 50-point performances of the season based on just how efficient he was that night. A lot of times when guys get up to 35 or 40, they start forcing shots trying to get those last 10. And that just wasn't the case for Fred. He was all over the place, sinking shots and never settling for a bad look which I just love to see. It looked amazing. Now, the other guy here we got to talk about, Mr. Chris Boucher. 29 points and 10 rebounds on 13 shots. Guys, what was your favorite part about this performance? And what do you think about Chris Boucher moving forward? So my favorite part about this performance was actually the offensive rebounding. Uh, the Raptors' offense in this game against the Hawks was kind of sputtering towards the end, and Chris Boucher just manufactured a bunch of buckets by by playing hard and crashing the offensive boards. He was out-rebounding Clint Capella, who's a great rebounder. And, and so that was a, a really encouraging sign because Boucher, so far this season, has been probably a subpar rebounder. And and so him being able to do that, I think, is is really encouraging. What do you think, Ben? Yeah, I think this was a promising game for Boucher because I thought going into the Hawks game that this was going to be a tough matchup for him against Capella. Capella is a lot bigger and stronger than him, and I thought he was going to really struggle on the boards here. And that not being the case was really encouraging. And Boucher really outplayed Aaron Baines this game. And Baines has looked god-awful in the last last week and has just no touch around the rim. And Boucher being able to score points and finish pick and rolls and just shoot threes as well like I think this is a really promising stretch for Boucher and I I'm wondering at what point we give him the starting look over Aaron Baines because to me Boucher hasn't been super consistent this season he was in a bit of a slump before this game but he at least has flashes that he can do things like this whereas I don't see any of those flashes from Aaron Baines so I want to see Boucher get more of a consistent look Oh gosh, I came on this podcast ready to have some hot takes about Chris Boucher because last week, you know, listening to the podcast, we seemed really down on Boucher and he's been playing his heart out this season and he's not a perfect player. He's not good at a lot of things that are important for a center, but gosh, he's playing well. And I just felt bad that we kind of buried him. Boucher is a quality player and I think he has a place on a strong team, even possibly a championship contender, but it's always going to be off the bench. Yeah. He has too many holes in his game as far as being able to defend some of the starting centers you see in the league. They're just too big, too physical for him, and he's going to get eaten alive by any large center that has a post game and an offensive game. So I think that makes him very much a bench player, but he's such a good offensive player off the bench. If he can just not foul and get some productive minutes in the right matchups, he could be a big lift for this Raptors team that needs a bit more half-court offense. His shooting numbers are great, and I think a lot of his promise for the team is in these three-point shooting numbers. He's shooting 44% for the, the season now. I think it's through 23 games. It's pretty impressive, and I wonder how long do we have to see this before we start to realize maybe this shooting isn't a mirage. Maybe this is just who he is. If you leave him open, you're going to get splashed on. I think you need to cool it there, Gavin. Uh, one good game, one stretch of good games does not make a good player. I think we have to look at his entire career work to sort of get a good picture of, of who he is. I don't think he's, he's that different than he was last year. And you started to see teams closing out on him a lot harder, which I think is, is really a good sign for the Raptors and encouraging for Boucher, because even if the three point percentage comes down, his flow within the offense is going to be much smoother if teams feel like they have to close out on him. But I still think he belongs in a bench role. The, 
the potential that Aaron Baines could be a solid defensive center is probably still more than Boucher. So I think you kind of have to roll the dice and hope that comes along. Yeah, Aaron. I mean, I'm not saying that he should be a starter. I think Baines should be the starter just because I think he matches up better against the other bigs in the conference. When you think about guys like Brooke Lopez or Joel Embiid or these other bigs that you see around the league that have a post game can beat you up with size. Boucher is just never going to be able to stand up to those guys in the same way Baines is. But as a spark plug kind of offensive player off the bench, I think he might be one of the better bench players in the league, especially at the big position. And if his shooting numbers are real, like it's going to be pretty impressive. And you know what? If they are starting to check him on the three-point line, go out to guard him, I think that's better because that's going to open up driving lanes for Lowry or Fred or even Norman Powell that are going to really help the team just pull that big out of the, the center. I've got three words. Regression to the mean. I, he's not going to be shooting 44% from three all season. I, we can write that in stone. I think, I think he's going to, by the end of the season, I would say maybe 35%. And to me, if he's shooting 35% on the season, like his value goes down a lot, but to me, it's still Aaron Baines is just every time I watch Aaron Baines play, I, this I'm a Raptors fan, but I hate watching Aaron Baines, even though he's a Raptor. It's just every time I see this guy play, I'm just like, oh, get him out of here. He cannot finish around the rim and he's like seven feet tall. How do you have that poor of a touch around the rim? I don't understand it. It, it drives me insane. So even though defensively, yeah, I agree with Aaron that Baines probably has some better matchups against starting centers. My sanity cannot handle watching this man play. And I want to I want to see Boucher get slotted in the starting lineup or even even when OG comes back let's let's go small ball let's embrace it I've been advocating for that since last week I'm still on the small ball train let's go there let's try that out nurse I feel sorry for a lot of the NBA backboards that have to take Aaron Baines left-handed layups attempts <laughs> oh my they God. are they're they are taking a beating there's so no true. doubt about it but I Ben I still think you got to start Baines over over Boucher what does Brains bring to the table? Like, what is he doing for our team? There, I, I don't see any positives out of his play recently. I don't know. Maybe maybe there's something I'm missing. Can you guys tell me what so, I'm missing here? What is I'll he I'll tell you to the what table? you're missing. You're missing four words. Regression to the mean. He's been a good career player, and I think he can only get better at this point. He's, he's had a horrible start. Maybe there's lots of things going on off the court and settling into the Raptors scheme. He's been a good player in his career. Hopefully, he can get back to that point. He's been he's getting better. He's also 34. This could just be him getting old and he's lost a step and now he can't do anything. We he, saw this with Marcus Gasol in the bubble. It just he could be like washed. He washed. Yeah, he could be washed. We don't know, but, but it's though, been better. What's the Raptors path to becoming a good team? If you're starting Boucher and you're expecting that to be an upgrade, like we're not getting that much better. But if there is a bit of regression to the mean coming and Baines improves even just slightly over what he's doing and gets back to a bit of what he was doing in Phoenix or even in Boston, just slightly, then the team's going to be meaningfully better. We don't have a lot of ways to improve at the big position outside of Baines getting better. So I think we kind of have to play him in order to hope that happens. If we just bench him for the rest of the season, we're never going to see that. So I think it's important he gets those minutes, starts to get some feel back because that's the only meaningful way the Raptors are going to be better at that position. Completely agree, Gavin. Great point. Yeah. All right. These these are reasonable takes. I, I still feel shitty about Aaron Baines, but I'll accept these takes. We can argue about Boucher later. One argument that I'm seeing floating around on the internet is about all-stars. The all-star voting is underway, and I don't know what to do with my Raptors votes. Who do you think on the Raptors team actually deserves an all-star spot? Who should the fans be targeting this year? Who should they be voting for? So 
I'll start off. One thing I noticed with the all-star voting is that they released the top 10 vote getters for both forwards and guards in both conference. And the Raptors had zero players in the top 10 of each position. To be honest, I don't know if that's wrong. I don't know if the Raptors so far this season have deserved to have an all-star. They have a bad record. They're 10 and 13. And the load has been pretty evenly divided. I think Fred's had a good season, but I don't know if it's an all-star season Kyle's been out some games, also had, has had a good season. I think he's probably the most deserving one, but he I don't know if he's played enough and he hasn't been quite good enough, I think, as well. And then Siakam's had a bad season and definitely is not deserving. And so to me, it's really between Fred and Kyle. And I don't know that either of them has been quite good enough, especially with the Raptors not being a top seed in the East for them to merit an all-star nod this season. When you're a mediocre team that has a bunch of good players, I don't think you deserve an all-star. So I'm not going to be a Raptors simp and say that they should, oh they should be gosh. having an all-star. Like you guys are here. both out of your minds. There's one man on this team that deserves an all-star spot, Fred Van Vliet. He's the heart and soul of the team. He hasn't missed any games, I don't think. He's putting up 20 points a game, six assists. He just had a 54-point night. How can we not put this man's name on the ballot as a, as a podcast? Last season, Bradley Beal scored 30 points a game and didn't make the all-star team. Fred's only at 20. I don't know. Fred is also shooting 40% from the field. Like he he cannot score at the rim. Most of his efficiency comes from shooting three-pointers. I don't think he's at all worthy of an all-star spot. You think there's 10 guards better than him in well, I mean, I know 10 people won't make it, but just that first return. You think there's 10 guards in the East more deserving than Fred Van Vliet? No. But I don't think a lot of the people on the end of that ballot are realistic. And I don't think Fred is realistic either. So I don't really care if he's not on that 10-man list. Derek Rose was on that 10-man list. And Fred is definitely more deserving than Derek Rose, as is Lowry. But I still think neither of them is going to end up making the team. Unless the Raptors go on a run and their record really improves, then... I could see one of them squeezing in, but I would still honestly lean towards Lowry over Van Vliet. He's been really impressive to me. I think he's still the heart and soul of the team, not Fred. And he's the guy that really picks it up near the end of games and drives the Raptors home. Defense is still really good. Fred has also been awesome on defense, but they're both both probably about equal, but I just give it to the nod to Lowry because of his veteran experience and leadership of the team. I think Val Lowry would have a better argument if he hadn't missed those games, but Fred's just been outscoring him and he's had some big performances. I really like Fred this season for an all-star spot. He would be getting my vote. I do think it's a bit competitive and he might not get in, but if I was a Raptors fan, that's the guy I'd be targeting with my votes. He's younger than Lowry. He's up and coming. He hasn't missed games. He's putting up numbers. I think we got to give it to Fred, especially with his defensive effort that he's putting in first team all defense. I just think the combination of that defense with the scoring output and just the general, the floor general part of it all, Fred deserves a spot or at least some votes from Raptors fan. He deserves to be on that top 10 list and see his name written there. Yeah, he definitely deserves to be on the top 10 list. One thing that I'm really puzzled me this week was the whole Kevin Durant saga in that Nets game. Start of the game, he might not play is what we're hearing. Then all of a sudden, well, at some point in the first quarter, he checks in and then he has to check out again due to a positive test. It was very confusing. Um, do you guys know what happened? And should the Raptors fans be worried that some of our team might test positive now? 
I don't think the Raptors need to be worried about Raptors players testing positive. Kevin Durant's already had COVID and he tested negative three times, I think, during the 24 hours before that game. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think it's a huge concern for the Raptors specifically. I do think Kevin Durant getting pulled in warmups and then coming in and then getting pulled again a little bit later. I think it makes the NBA look foolish. And this game was on primetime. Everyone was confused at what was going on. I think the, co- the the explanation was just COVID protocols, health and safety protocols. And everyone's like, what protocol allows a player to not start a game and then come in in the middle of the game and then get pulled again 20 minutes later? That doesn't make sense. And that looks really bad. And their explanation of this being a close contact that had an inconclusive test and then it tested positive later, it's like... If, you, if you're not sure about the test, shouldn't you just hold the player out out of an abundance of caution? And then when you get the negative test back, that's when the player is allowed to play. To me, there's some question marks about the health and safety protocols and what the NBA is doing here, because this looked really foolish for the NBA. I think in the grand scheme of things, I don't think there was a big risk to the players. It just looks bad. Yeah, that's kind of where I fell on it. I think seen a lot of panic online about, oh my goodness, are the Raptors been exposed to COVID now? And I kind of referenced an article from Malika Andrews and she was kind of the person breaking the story on Twitter during the whole kerfuffle that was going on during the game. It seems that Kevin Durant was driven, driving with a team employee three multiple times throughout the day. That team employee then returned an inconclusive test result. The protocols say unless it's a true positive, the player can play. So eventually he was able to get in the game and then another test result said positive. It was a big mess. And you're right, Ben, it looks terrible on the league. We need to be more organized and following these protocols. I do believe Kevin Durant was in breach of the protocols because he was driving with his employee without a mask on, uh, on three separate occasions that Friday. So, I mean, I don't have a lot of uh, sympathy for the guy, even though he's tweeting to the world to free me. Um, (laughs) You know, you kind of break the rules. You, You open yourselves up to this possibility and player safety, employee safety is obviously the forefront of the league's mind, as well as the optics of all the COVID-19 situations. And I was a little worried, honestly, watching it. However, I don't think that we really have much to worry about with Kevin Durant returning three negative tests earlier that day and the day before. So hopefully the Raptors are all good still. Okay. We have an email today um, that I'm going to read to you guys quickly. Our first fan email. Okay. Alex rates. Hey, just checked out the pod. I love you guys. Here is my take. Toronto are still the reigning NBA champs. Let me explain. It's crazy to me that people count the Lakers season win as an actual championship. 2020 didn't have a playoffs. It had bubble ball. You can't make up new rules at the very end of something. Changing something this much, it's not the same thing at all. This season, I, I, I hate this take already. I, I just, <laughs> I hate it. Like the, if you watch the bubble ball, you would, you would have seen that it was super high quality basketball. The Raptors team was in a very competitive series that they could have easily won, but they lost to the better team. So, so I just hate this take. I think the Lakers are very deserving NBA champions and, and the Raptors are very deserving to lose in the conference semifinals. I want to hear the rest of this take. (laughs) He goes on to say this season likewise is shortened and the Raptors aren't even able to play in Toronto due to border restrictions. If the league had any competitive integrity, the trophy would be in Toronto until they could defend their title in their home city. 
In all seriousness, I feel like the offseason management of player and player development are some of the Raptors' strengths. And part of their slump is from the league making it up as they go, effectively punishing good team management who had long-term development plans. So what do you guys think? Does all the uncertainty punish the Raptors more than other teams because they're better managed and they make more long-term plans? And do you think the Raptors should be considered uh, NBA champions uh, four years in a row now? (laughs) I, I think this Alex reminds me of Tristan Thompson when he was on the Cavaliers saying that championship still runs through Cleveland after LeBron had left. I think there's no way we can actually claim that the Toronto is the reigning champions. The Lakers were deserving champions, like Aaron said. I think the Raptors have been dealt a bit of a raw hand here, having to play in Tampa and every game they've said this, every game is a road game for them now. And that's unfortunate, but you just got to play the hand you're dealt. Um, This is a weird season. Things have been weird for a year now. You just got to adapt to it. I think we're not real contenders anyways, so I don't think we would have a legitimate claim to be like, ah, if things were a little bit different, we could have won. I I don't really think that's true. Um, Aaron, what do you think? I agree mostly with that. I think the Raptors' strength as an organization has actually come through. Uh, in this season, how many teams would be able to deal with moving to a different city, moving to a different country, and then with all the NBA COVID protocols and sort of dealing with that? And like, yeah, the Raptors should probably be a 500 team despite not having that much talent. So, so I think the season has shown their organizational strength and their ability to to sort of deal with adversity. They just happen to have more adversity than other teams this season. So. So I think they're doing okay so far, but uh, definitely not deserving of being called a four-peat. But uh, yeah, I mean, this take is a little wild. Alex, I love your spunk and your go-get-itiveness and your Toronto Raptors fandom, but we got to be realistic and just, it was a fair match last year in the bubble and the Raptors had just as much a chance as anyone else to win that title. Everyone was dealing with the same thing and they didn't come through. Aaron, you're right. I think a lot of other teams would suffer a lot more than the Raptors are from all that uh, uncertainty and replacement and just goes to show how well managed they are. Another big news this week, Bobby Webster got his extension. So we can all be happy about that. He's here to stay. Now we just need Masai back too. I know. I know. Yeah. That's got me worried because Masai is in his last year of his contract. There, there was talks since the championship year of him extending. It just hasn't happened yet. So I'm, I'm a little bit worried that he's going to, end up either doing something else altogether, like trying to be president, which I would greatly support, or end up going to sort of a maybe a more famous team like the Wizards. <laughs> so I, if he goes to the, if he picks the Wizards over the Raptors, I'll be questioning his sanity a little bit. These Wizards rumors have been going on for years now. I I don't understand it. What What about the Wizards organization is appealing to him that Toronto can't offer him? I don't get that. So the Wizards can offer him a fresh start. Toronto, their long-term future doesn't look amazing. They don't have high draft picks. All their players are are kind of paid pretty well at this point. So there's not a lot of value to eke out here. And you already won a championship in Toronto. There's only so much more you can do here. Like winning another championship would be great, but that seems like pretty far away at this point. And maybe getting a fresh start somewhere else and, you know, being able to rescue a franchise that would look better for his legacy and be a, a different challenge that maybe he's looking for. He's a hard man to read. I don't know what he's planning. I really hope he stays with the Raptors. He's been my favorite person on the Raptors team for a long time now. 
I don't think he can become president though, because he's born in the United Kingdom. Mm. So how's he supposed to run for president of the United States? That does seem like an obstacle. Ted Cruz is Canadian. He ran for president. <laughs> Did he? How is it? Yeah. I thought that was illegal. No, I, I think it's okay. As long as you're an American citizen, I think you can run. Huh. Interesting. I think you should run for prime minister before he runs for president. Let's be Yeah, honest. I'd vote for him too. Yeah, he has my vote locked up. I do think if he doesn't re-sign with the Raptors, I would be surprised if he goes to another NBA team. I think what is more likely is that he ends up going to a senior position with the NBA and really taking on a larger role with the Giants of Africa program and developing basketball in Africa. That's something that I could see him doing because I think that's really his passion. So I would be surprised if he jumps ship for another NBA team. I think he loves Toronto. That's my final thoughts on that. I'm going to be right. a little corny here, and I, I just want him to do whatever is going to make him and his family happy. So he's already given the Raptors a championship. He doesn't owe us anything. I hope he does what, what he wants to. Yeah, no Maasai burning jerseys if he leaves. Well, I yeah. want him to stay for as long as he is able to, and I don't want to let go. It'd be too soon. Please stay, Maasai, please. All right, let's get to that preview. Ben, what you got? So coming up next week, we've got three games. Monday, we're playing Memphis. Wednesday, we're at Washington. And then Thursday, we're at Boston. Three interesting games here. Guys, what do you think our predicted record is for this week? Gavin, let's go to you first. Ooh, this is a tough week, especially because that Washington-Boston is back-to-back. I'm going to go with uh, 2-1 and one this week. I think we can take Memphis. I think Washington, we should be able to win. But the back-to-back against Boston the next day would be a tough matchup. Boston on the best of days is going to be tough. But on a back-to-back, it's going to be even tougher. And it's a road trip. All these games are on the road. So I think we're definitely going to drop at least one of the three. I'm going to pick the Boston one to be it. So I'm going uh, two and one this week. I'm going to disagree with you, Gavin. I'm going to go one and two. I think people are underrating Memphis at this point. They have John Morant back healthy and, and their team is pretty good on defense. So I think the Raptors are really going to struggle to score and, and John Morant can, he's, I think he's a real superstar. He's going to be able to generate enough to, to get the Grizzlies over the hump on this game. And then I, I completely agree with the back-to-back difficulty there with playing Boston at the end of a back-to-back. Boston's a better team. They're a tough matchup for the Raptors. If they're healthy, I think that's an easy win for the Celtics. What do you think, Ben? Uh, I I hate agreeing with you, Aaron. Um, Nothing I hate more in life, but I also think it's going to be a one and two week for the Raptors. I'm chalking up that Boston game as a loss. Historically, we get blown out by Boston every game in the regular season and we match up really poorly with them, like you said. So I I think that's definitely a loss. And I think Memphis is about a 50-50 and then Washington, we, we should have an edge against them, but I think we lose one of those games. So I'm going to go one and two for the week. The must-watch game of the week, guys, for me, it's going to be that Memphis game. That's going to be so exciting. I mean, John Morant is much-watch TV whenever he's on. And when he's playing against my favorite team, I want to watch that battle happen. I think that's going to be the most exciting, closest game of the three. You guys in agreement? I hate to agree with you, so I'm not going to. I'm going to pick the Washington game as the must-watch game of the week just because if you're watching the Raptors, might as well watch them get a win. And, and get to watch Russell Westbrook do wild things. So I, I think that game could be end up being pretty fun. My must-watch game of the week is going to be Boston. Um, even though I expect us to get blown out by them, I think if the Raptors do play them close and competitive, 
that bodes well for our future. So I'm going to be watching that game closely to see how competitive we are against an elite team. So to me, that's the most interesting game for the future of the season. But I, I do agree with Gavin that Memphis is going to be an exciting game. John Morant is really fun to watch. So if you're a Raptors fan, tune into that because it, it'll be fun for sure. I can't watch the Wizards. I'd rather, I'm going to watch it, but I, I mean, it's just such a frustrating, weird team to watch. I, it's no, no interest for me. So I think Aaron's dead wrong, but that's okay. Uh, every time I see Russell Westbrook play, I want to gouge my eyes out. Yeah, basically my thoughts exactly. But Aaron has a lot of weird takes. So it doesn't do. surprise really me do. he's picking the Washington team. One thing I want to watch for in the Memphis game is the Raptors have been incredible at taking out superstars on the opposition team, especially if they're guards. If you look at superstar shot attempts against the Raptors, they barely get any shots off and they're usually very difficult. So I'm excited to see what they can do to John Morant. Mm, That's part of why I made it my must watch game of the week. All right, so that wraps up everything we wanted to talk about today. Thank you so much if you're still listening to the podcast all the way through. We really appreciate it. If you want to send us an email and give us something to chat about, please do. Remember, our email is raptorsreviewmail at gmail.com. That's raptorsreviewmail at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. You can give us a hard time. You can set us up for a good time when we're chatting about whatever you bring to the table. We'd love to hear from you. All right, until next week, go Raptors, go. We'll be here with your Raptors review. Bye for now.